Let us pray. Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Have you, uh, have you ever experienced a loss to the, to the point that you felt alone even in the midst of a crowd? A couple of weeks ago, I told you about the family, the Bryants, who lost uh, six children in a uh, house explosion while visiting their aunt. In our readings today, we've heard already of two uh, single mothers who lost their only child. The depth of that loss can only be imagined if you've not experienced it. We've all lost loved ones, but this is the, these stories are different. It's the loss of a child. It's to, to, we're, we're familiar and it's expected that the older people will die. And, and even when somebody is at least of age and has had a life behind them, when even if they die unexpectedly, there's something that's far more natural about that than the loss of a child. Someone said that the loss of a child is like having a period before the end of a sentence. There's this unfinished life, this all this future that was out before the person is now gone. <clears throat> it would be such a devastating loss, it's as if part of the parent dies along with the child. Our lesson today demonstrates that it's not possible to bear the hurts and failures of this fallen world on our own. But we have a Savior who has compassion and bears our pain with us. We are not alone. First, we see a compassionate Savior. Verse 1 says, or 11, I guess that is. I think we're going to do 11 through 13. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had great compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. So Jesus had been, in our last uh, section of Scripture, he'd been in Capernaum. And from Capernaum to Nain is about 25 miles. It's about a day's journey. So it's likely it would have been like in the late afternoon that by the time he would have gotten to this town and, and approaching. And, and it says that he's approaching with his own crowd. He has his disciples plus a large crowd that came with him. And then there's this, this crowd. If you're, you're, imagine coming near the, the, the town, and this town has the, the wall, it has the city gate, and as you're coming near the city gate, there's a, uh, a large funeral procession going on with many people. And they're, uh, in this procession is this beer or an open casket is what that means. So they're carrying a, a, this open casket, which is carrying a young man who died, and he was the only child of his mother. And there would be professional mourners leading the way, wailing and, and crying very loud. Um, there would be other people walking along and weeping. The dust, there would be like, uh, because of the procession, and this is a moving thing, you got people walking. Imagine the dust coming up out of the, off the, uh, off the roadway. You, you've got the shuffling of feet. You've got those noises. You've got... Noises of these uh, criers going on. You have also the, the rest of the crowd who, is, who, who would be hysterically crying. You have flutes. You have cymbals. There is a lot of commotion going on 
in what is encountered at the city gate. And it sounds like something horrific has happened, and it has. A child has died. A parent's worst nightmare, that they would live, outlive their child and see their child perish. Well, Jesus enters this turmoil, and he goes directly to the grieving mother, and it says that he had compassion on her in verse 13. And Luke uses this strongest word possible to convey Jesus' emotions. This is something visceral. It's, it's something that refers to the inside of the body. It's like something of the lungs, something of the stomach, something of the bowels. He was driven to such a deep emotional response that there was a physical reaction. That sinless, selfless nature of the God-man is contrasted with the sinful fallenness of the world. The darkness and the brokenness that he witnesses, he can understand, but it's as if he's taken aback by her loss because of this fallen world we live in. This is different than us because we are full of sin and we are turned in on ourselves and we have little capacity to grieve and care so much for others. But he was able to care very deeply. And Luke tries to describe that in the way he writes. And as this grieving mother stumbles toward the burial ground with her only son, she recognizes that she's alone. It is setting in to her how alone she is. It would have been very important to have a protector, a provider. Well, she's a widow. She has none of that. She would have had this young son who was growing into becoming a man who would have served in some form of that role. Now he's gone. And so in the midst of this large crowd, which there was a large crowd before Jesus and his followers showed up, now the crowd's even larger, she feels extremely alone. But in the depths of her despair, she encounters hope. She encounters Jesus. And he speaks into her sorrow and grief and says, Do not weep. There is hope in the midst of despair. Lamentations 3, 23 through 20, 22 through 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we've sung already today about how great his faithfulness is. And we praise him because that is so true. And the reality is, is Jesus' compassion is real. This is not something he's doing. It's not a role he's following. He has great compassion. He was utterly moved from the inside with hurt and sorrow for her in her moment of despair. You, too, may have suffered from some hurt that is so deep it's hard to express what it's like. You may have experienced some trauma that you can't even begin to put into words. But this story is for you. Where Jesus speaks into her despair, he speaks into your whatever that issue of hurt or past trauma is. He understands the depths of your sorrow, the depths of your pain. And then again, because of his his sinlessness and his perfection, he has no limitations on him. And he is able... To bring 
all this mercy, all this grace into the depths of your hurt and heal all those wrongs. The second thing we see is that the Savior's word heals. So beginning in 14, he says, Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. So in the midst of this dust and this noise and all of this commotion, Jesus, without a word, reaches out and touches this open casket. Now, to you and I, that doesn't sound remarkable, actually. It sounds, well, and our familiarity with Jesus, what else would you expect him to do? But because he is a Jewish teacher, this would render him ceremonially unclean. But Jesus doesn't let that slow him down at all. His compassion is greater than the law. His, his love and his ability to show his compassion exceed the ceremonial law. So as he reaches out, the crowd is silenced. If you can imagine all those noises going on, imagine as he reaches out without a word and touches this open coffin, that all those noises stop. The shuffling of the feet cease. Because the bearers, those who were carrying the coffin, they stop. This is unusual. People don't do this. A Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher would not do this. And here comes Jesus from from afar entering into the crowds, speaking to the woman, then reaching out and touching this open coffin. Here in this scene, on this dusty street outside the walls of Nain, life and death are face to face. Life and death. You have Jesus staring into the face of this young dead man. This is a parable of Jesus' mission and his ministry to the entire world. This describes what he is doing as he comes for rescuing and redeeming his people, where he arrests death, swallowing it up in victory, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15. Here he demonstrates his ability in this one young man. And he says to him, young man, I say to you, arise. Now it is interesting that in some of Jesus' smaller miracles, he'll use maybe some props or some other, some other things in order to like, facilitate the miracle. Such as the spitting in the mud and stirring it and putting it in the eyes of the blind man. There's no mud here. There's no incantations. There, there, there are no rituals. It's just Jesus' word. Different place, different story, different time. Jesus speaks to Lazarus and calls him out of the grave. Same story. There are no props. There, there, the only thing that Jesus uses in these resurrection stories is his word. And so because he speaks, when his word goes forth, there's a response. And this young man hears him. This young man hears him from somewhere. His ashen body was no doubt dead. It wasn't as if he's on the way to the hospital. He's on the way to the graveside. He's on the way to be buried. His body was dead, but his spirit is alive. And as Jesus calls to him, he responds in obedience. This is a beautiful picture of what it is like for us when G, that our bodies will die, but our spirits will continue to live. 
Verse 15 says, And then the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Well, this is like a repeat of the story we heard from Elijah healing the young boy who had died. And it uses even the same language about as Elijah came back down and delivered the boy to his mother. Here, Jesus delivers this boy to his mother. It's the same language. It's no wonder that these people thought that a great prophet has risen among us. But there's a significant difference between the story of Jesus and the story of Elijah. Jesus is using Elijah-like power to bring this boy back, but Elijah was calling upon the Lord for the Lord to restore life to that boy. And in this story, Jesus himself restores life to this boy. This story is the story of every believer. As we read in 1 Thessalonians, the same voice that raised this boy from the dead will call again. And all those who are dead in Christ will come alive and meet him in the air. And all the dead in Christ will hear and respond. The children of that house explosion will respond. All those who are in Christ will rise up from the dead and meet him in the air. We will hear him say in a very specific, very personal, deep way, Becky, get up. Kirk, get up. Sarah, get up. There will be no mistaking his voice, and there will be no hesitation of obedience. We speak of a joyful obedience. You think of the obedience of this boy where his body is dead and his spirit is alive, and he hears the voice of Jesus, the one who gave him life, calling him back into the body. Do you suppose there's hesitation in the boy? I used to say, that kids, dogs, and employees are all the same when you're trying to get them to do something. And I say that we're training them all the time. Now, employees never really appreciated me saying that, but I always believed it, and the further I go, the more I believe it's true. And, and, and just for the example, so that we're not picking on people, I, and I have had a pup, and if you've ever had a pup, reality is you are training this pup all the time. But the problem with pups, they're like babies, and sometimes even employees, they can be very cute. And so if I'm training this, this pup to sit, and I'm going through the motions, and I tell the pup to sit, but then he, he looks at me, and he twists his little head, and he looks very cute, and so I, I give in, and I do not force him to sit, and I, I don't know a lot about training much of anything, but I would push on their rear, and they would sit, and you kind of had to, to get those things together, and if I failed to do that, and I don't reward behavior and all those things, if, I, if, if he twists his little head and looks cute at me, and I quit, and I give up, what I've done is I've trained him that he can ignore my voice. So with our children, we would talk about, I wanted this for my dog. Sometimes I succeeded, sometimes I didn't. Uh, you all probably got to see my dog when she was really old, and I could snap my fingers and give her a, a point of the finger. And, and people would say, wow, what a remarkable dog you have. How, how obedient. Well, she's a little too lazy to do anything else. And she loved me beyond, I, I think, beyond any human has ever loved me. That dog loved me. And so if I told her to go do something, most of the time she would do that. But she was still not, uh, she was not, she, she didn't have that immediate obedience. My, my, I mean, there's, there's, there's just no doubt in that. My, my, my brother-in-law and uh, sister came to our house. Uh, we were all on vacation and they were headed back before we were. And they stopped at our house and spent the night. And, and the dog loves my brother-in-law. But all night the dog would whine and howl. And Brian said, only Jesus loves Jim more than that dog. 
Because and and I I heard about that and I was surprised because I knew that the dog would be just totally settled if Brian was in the house. Brian was in the house, but the dog knew if Brian's there, Jim's got to be near somewhere. And so the dog kept whining, waiting for Jim. Well, it was like I don't know another day or so before I ever made it there. So only Jesus loved me more than that dog, and I believe that's true. But even and for our children, we would talk about first time obedience or. Um, be obedience without hesitation. And, and the, the thing that would wear us out and where I find very challenging, the whole concept of discipline is in that follow through. It's easy enough to, it's not easy enough. It's, it's difficult enough to come up with the plan and describe it and lay it out. Now what's hard is following it through. So if I said, if you don't do this, then X. Well, when this didn't happen, I had, to, I had to keep my end of the bargain. Or, again, I'm training, and I would train that first time and first response and immediate obedience is not necessary. So, here, I don't think there's any training. I think the power of the Lord speaking to you in the midst of your despair, and I think this boy, though dead, was in despair, and I think he was anxious to hear the one who loved him even more than his dog. And as, as the Lord calls him, he immediately responds. It's a beautiful picture that we will all experience without hesitation. This, our great Lord has great compassion for his people. His heart goes out for us, and he wants the very best for us. He not only has great compassion, he has great power to help us along. To, to apply that compassion, that mercy, that grace to our deepest need. All he has to do is say a word, get up, and we will obey. His power is mediated by his wisdom, and therefore he doesn't necessarily do everything we want. He doesn't necessarily do everything we ask. Because of his great wisdom, he exercises his power and his great compassion in order that Whatever he gives us will be the best for us, and it will also bring him glory. He will bring compassion and mercy and apply it to our greatest need and bring healing. To restore life, to deliver back what the evil one has taken away. As the crowd said, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Our God has come to dwell among his people and bring them life. And he stands ready to help us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.